Uh, if you brought your Bibles tonight, uh, and I hope that you have, turn with me to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. Uh, while you're finding Joshua chapter 7, I, I'd made a joke a minute ago or just now about preaching, and, and I guess that's true, though. You don't, that's, you don't have to call me twice to dinner, and you don't have to tell me twice it's, it's time to preach. I, I was thinking about, actually, when I said that, I was thinking about uh, Brother Friend used to say that when the anointing was there, he'd rather preach than eat. But when the anointing wasn't there, he'd rather eat. And so I, I, understand, <laughs> I understand what he means there. Joshua chapter 7. Now, this is kind of like this morning. I would like to at least be able to read this whole chapter, but I know that's not realistic. Really, what we would need to do is go back and, into chapter 5 and, and really read chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8. Uh, we, we Really, what we're going to read about here in chapter 7 took place in chapter 6, and then the result of getting it taken care of, of God intervening, is in chapter 8. But anyways, we need to read a few verses here in chapter 7. And so, just to give you an idea, I'm going to pull a few verses out of here, but I would ask that maybe this evening or tomorrow in your time, in your devotional time, that you take a little time and read this section of the book of Joshua. Read two or three chapters here at least. And so, anyways, in Joshua chapter 7, the first verse says, But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmine, uh, the son of Zebdiah, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Now if we skip down to verse 10, it tells us, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they, <clears throat> excuse me, for they have ta- uh, have even taken the cursed thing, and have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Now let's go down to verse eighteen and get the the meat of this here. Verse eighteen. And he, and he brought, now this is Joshua, Joshua or, uh, and he brought uh, his household man by man. All right, so they're brought before the Lord. Uh, and Achan, the son of Carmi, and the son of Zeb, Zebdiah, and the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him. And tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels uh, weight, that I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent, and the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran unto the tent, and behold, it was hid in his tent, and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent, and brought them unto Joshua and unto all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, 
in the silver, in the garment, in the wedge of gold, in his sons, in his daughters, in his oxen, in his asses, in his sheep, in his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Acre. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger, wherefore the name of that place was called the Valley of Acre unto this day. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you here tonight. We thank you for the good day and for the many blessings. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us to gather here to worship you in spirit and truth. Thank you, Lord, for our, everyone that you've sent our way here tonight. Thank you, Lord, for our church family. Thank you for the roof you put over our head, for the blessings you poured out on us. But we thank you most of all tonight for your son, Jesus. Lord God, that you sent him and give him so that we might have life and have that life eternally and abundantly. God, I just pray as we go forward here tonight, first of all, that we wouldn't take that lightly. Second of all, that we would always give you the praise and glory that you alone are due. Third thing is that I ask that, uh, God, that everyone here tonight would have ears to hear. They would be receptive and have ears to hear what you would say to them by their spirit tonight. God, my prayer is, is, that, that, is that your good word, your good seed finds fallow ground here tonight. And God, that it takes, takes root deep within us and, and, and begins to grow and transform us into the image of your Son and, and to what you've called us to be. And God, that we would leave here different than how we come. And Lord, my prayer above everything is if there's any here that's lost and undone, any that don't know you, any that are backslidden, any that are just grown cold or just not where they ought to be, God, that tonight's the night they would repent and get right with you before it's everlasting too late. And Lord, let me ask one more thing of you tonight. I need your help. Um, I recognize my shortcomings, my inability. And so Lord, I'm just praying, asking Lord, that you would, uh, in spite of how far, far I fall short, God, that you would use me tonight because you've called me. God, that you would preach this message tonight and use me as your vessel to deliver it. Lord, clear my mind of everything but your message, your thoughts, your words. Place on my tongue the very things you'd have me to say here tonight. And I'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory for it. God, I'm asking for your holy unction. I'm asking for your anointing. Lord, I'm praying, Lord, that you would just bless tonight. And Lord, we know your word will not return void. And God, will be sure and give you every bit of the glory. Because we love you. We worship you. We praise your holy name. We ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I think the question that I'm really, and I'll address our text here in just a minute, but I think really the question that, that needs to be asked here tonight is this. What is sin? What is sin? Right? Because if I was going to, title, if I was going to entitle this uh, message, it would be sin in the camp. Right? That wouldn't be something unique to me. I'm sure that's been used as, as, as a title or an outline or chapter headings 
for this passage of scripture, for this chapter or these chapters for a long time. Sin in the camp. That's what's going on here. That's the problem. So I think the first question that needs to be asked and answered by the word of God is what is sin? Well, I think 1 John 5.17 makes it just as clear as it can possibly be. 1 John 5.17 says all unrighteousness is sin. All unrighteousness is sin, right? Whatever the, a person may do uh, or, or think or act on or whatever the case may be that is not right in the sight of God, that is sin. When we look here, I think the key to this at least to the part of the, at least to what God wants me to bring out tonight, is in verse 21. I, I'll just read it to you again. Verse 21 says, "And when Joshua and all Israel saw uh, that the ambush had taken the city, it, that's chapter eight. I'm sorry, chapter seven, verse 21. This is Achan talking. When I saw among the spoils, now listen, this is Achan, right? Joshua, God has revealed where the sin in the camp is." Joshua is dealing with Achan here. And so anyways, uh, uh, verse 21 says, Achan says, When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of the tent and the silver under it. Here's the thing that just jumped out at me in this. I see four steps, what sin is here, of the progression of sin. Achan, first of all, says, I saw. Then he says, I coveted. Then the next progression is, I took and I hid. Do you see? It is the same thing all the way back. You see that same progression all the way back in the Garden of Eden, right? Do we not see the same thing there? We see it here. It's no different in our life today. Achan says, I saw, I coveted, I took, I hid. That's the same path that David followed in his sin with Bathsheba. Right? He saw, he coveted, uh, he took, and then he tried to cover up and hide his sin. <coughs> it's the same path that Adam and Eve followed, and it's the same path that sin will lead us down as well. It is the path that always ends in pain, in misery, in destruction, and in death. That's why James uh, chapter 1 verse 14 and 15 says, uh, But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That's the progression of sin. That's the progression of sin. In Joshua chapter 6, Rahab and her entire family, right? Right, Joshua chapter 6, we see uh, Jericho, right? The victory that God gives them over Jericho. Uh, in, in, in chapter 7, we see the sin of Achan, right? What he does is he takes, right? What we just read about here, they weren't supposed to take any of the spoils of Jericho, right? That was all set apart. That was all for God. It was all to be destroyed, just like a burnt offering, right? They weren't to take of any of the spoils. Achan said he 
saw, he coveted, he took, he hid, right? And so anyways, in Joshua chapter 7, we see the sin of Achan, right? And we see God dealing with that. And then uh, and we see the defeat here of the, of the city of Ai, right? Whenever uh, Israel goes up to try to fight uh, in, in, in Ai after this disobedience, right? After sin coming in the camp, right? And they're run off and they, uh, what was it, 35, 36 men that are killed? And then we see God deal with it here in this chapter, which I read to you just a minute ago. And then in chapter 8, we see them actually go and gain the victory over Ai. And I was thinking about all that, and I was thinking that in Joshua chapter 6, Rahab and her entire family are saved because of her faith, because of her act of faith and the actions really by her faith and the actions that her faith moved her to take and then in chapter 7 do you see the contrast there chapter 6 Rahab and her entire family are saved because of her faith chapter 7 Achan and his whole family that's why I tried to emphasize the word them that popped up there several times as I was reading those scriptures, that was his whole family that perished because of his sin, right? So in chapter 7, Rahab and her whole family is saved because of her faith and the action that she took because her faith moved her to do that. In chapter 7, Achan and his entire family die because of his disobedience. Or if we want to stay with the contrast there, his disobedience is because of his lack of faith. Because he really didn't believe what God said he would do, right? Why else would you do that? Rahab's whole family is saved because of her faith. Achan's whole family is destroyed because of his lack of faith and the actions that his lack of faith moved him to take. I've got a couple quick points that I want to make tonight. First of all, God knows when there's sin in the camp. There was sin in the camp. There wasn't no hiding it. He buried this stuff under his tent, and he buried the silver underneath the rest of the, uh, the goods he took. It was not hid from God. It was hid from everybody else there in the camp, right? It was hid from Joshua. It was hid from the leadership. It was hid from the other people there in the camp. They didn't know. If they'd have known, there's no way they'd went up there uh, and tried to take on AI because they knew the results of what that would be. God knows. God knows when there's sin in the camp. Job 34, uh, 21 says, For his eyes, talking about the Lord's eyes, are upon the ways of man, and he seeth all his goings. Psalm 33, 13 says, The Lord looketh from heaven. He beholdeth all the sons of men. Right? What is it that God doesn't see? What is it that God doesn't know? Proverbs 15, 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. There is nothing, nothing that is hidden from God. Nothing uh, that goes unnoticed by God. When there is sin in the camp, God is not in the camp. You catch that? That's why, that's why when they went up against Jericho, they won. Then sin comes in the camp, 
When sin's in the camp, God ain't in the camp. And they went up against AI. Didn't even realize the presence of God had left them and they didn't realize it. They went up against AI and they lost. Right? They come running home with their, uh, with their tails tucked in. Thirty-some men die on the way as they're, as they're uh, retreating. And then they deal with the sin that's in the camp. Which I know it seems harsh, but that's the way, I mean, it's what God told them to do. They deal with the sin that's in the camp and then they go back against AI. And God's with them this time. And there's the victory. First thing I want you to remember is when there is sin in the camp, God's not in the camp. Right? A camp, look, that can be your life, your home, our church, our congregation here. Right? You understand what I'm saying? We wonder why we don't see some of the miracles of God, why we don't see some of the mighty moves. Different churches all the time. I talked about this morning how uh, the church, uh, you know, it's powerless. When there's sin in the camp, God's not in the camp. I think it's obvious, but I'm going to go ahead and say it tonight. Sin brings defeat. Without God, they could not win. Without God, we ain't going to do no good either. Right? Jesus said in uh, John, John chapter 15, where he's talking about the, the vine, right? He says, without me, you can do nothing. Proverbs 28:13 says, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whosoever confesses and forsaketh them shall have mercy. God will not ignore it. God will not look the other way. Right? It's almost like we've got in our minds that we can just get away with it and we can say, oh God, I'm sorry, but then keep on doing it. And God will just let it go and say, well, that's good enough. No, no, he won't. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Not only does sin cause spiritual death, but it will also cost you everything in this life as well. Do you understand me? It'll cost you, it'll cost you all of it. It'll cost you more than you can pay. It'll take you further than you can go and cost you more than what you can pay. It will cost you your health. It will cost you your family. It will cost you your friends. It'll cost you your marriage. It'll cost you your job. It'll cost you your money. It'll cost you your future. It will cost you your joy and your witness. Just in the last few years, how many men of God, how many preachers, right, that we know that we've been around, been under the, the ministry of, that we've seen God use in a mighty way, and then they got caught up in sin, right? Then they, just like, uh, uh, just like David did, just like Achan did, they saw, they coveted, they took, and they tried to, hit, tried to hide it, and the sin comes out, and it costs them everything. And the worst part is it costs them their witness. Right? Oh, they'll try to deceive themselves and think that, well, give them a little time, they can come back and it'll be just like it was. No, it won't. God can forgive. You confess and repent. Really, that repent means to really turn away. God will forgive. But there is a consequence to sin. There's some things that you do 
and you'll pay for it for the rest of your life, right? There will be, what I mean by that, there'll be consequences for the rest of your life. Sin will cost you. Here's something else. This is the thing that always I had such a hard time with. It only takes one person to destroy the whole camp. I can remember first church I ever pastored. Uh, you, you know, uh, I, I think I probably told you the story before, but man, the spirit was so good and the services was so good and things were going so good. And I recognized that there was one person that when they would come in, they weren't there all the time. They just once in a while, you know, they couldn't stand it all the time. But when they would come in, everything. I mean, it just I couldn't believe it. You know, it just changed everything. It's just like it just sucked the spirit right out of everything, you know. And I questioned God on that. And I think, you know, greater is he that's in, in, that's in us than he that's in the world. Why? Why is this? I knew the one person was coming in. He was carrying the devil on his back. I knew enough about him. I knew that. But I couldn't understand it. God reminded me of Galatians 5, 9, a little 11, 11, the whole lump. It reminded me of Romans 5, 12, where it says, Wherefore is by one man, not by every man, not by the whole, you know, every person that ever lived or anything like that, but by one man, not a thousand, not a million, not even ten, not even two, but by one man, sin entered into the world. And death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You know, really began to hit home as God began to open my understanding. You know, to this very day, I suffer the consequences of the sin that my parents let into the camp. My children still, to this day, suffer the consequences of the sin that my parents led into the camp long before my children was ever even thought about. And my children and my grandchildren, they'll suffer the consequences of the sin that I led into the camp. This is what God was talking about when he said visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and unto the third and fourth generation. It only takes one person to bring the sin into the camp. And then one last thing. The sin has got to go. It has got to be purged out of the camp. It cannot be covered up. What's our natural reaction? Our natural reaction is to cover it up, right? Our natural reaction is to, is to make our own clothes out of some uh, fig leaves, right? To cover up our nakedness, to cover our sin. Our natural reaction is to go and bury it underneath our tents, right? Our natural reaction is to play it off, to downplay it, to cover it up, to pass it off, to blame it on somebody else. It's all hiding the sin. 2 Corinthians 6.17 says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not 
the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, that ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Do you hear what he's, what he's telling us? If you want God back in the camp, the sin has got to come out of the camp. So how do you get the sin out of the camp? Well, the Bible's a good place to look for an answer. First John, right? Little John way back there in the back. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise the Lord. Luke 13, 3. I tell you, nay. But except ye repent, ye shall likewise, ye shall all likewise perish. It's as simple as that. And boy, you think that seems too easy. But the pride of man makes it hard sometimes, doesn't it? Makes it hard. Makes it hard to own it up to ourselves. Makes it hard to own it up to God. Makes it really hard to go to a brother or sister or another person and confess that to them and own up to it. But that's what the Bible tells us we've got to do. It takes confession. Now, for the forgiveness from God, I'm not talking about confession to a man. I'm talking about confession to God. But I know also that if we've sinned against our brother, right, or we know that he's got odds against us, we need to go make things right. Right? And that may mean admitting fault. And then we've got to repent. If you want the sin out of the camp, you need to. Con- the first step is confess, confess it to God, and then repent. Repent to get the sin out of the camp. Not just one, right? You can't just confess or you can't just repent. It takes both. You've got to confess, right? If you don't confess, you've got nothing to repent of. Right? Step one is admitting it. Step two is turning away from it. That's what repentance is. We must acknowledge before God what we have done and we must repent of it. I've got this little definition uh, that I carry around with me of repentance. I usually keep it stuck in my Bible. Let me read it to you. Repent means to have a change of heart that causes you to think differently. It causes you to change your mind about sin God in yourself. It causes you to change your mind about what is right and what is wrong. It causes you to change your mind about who gets to decide what is right and what is wrong. When you repent, you turn away from sin and disobedience and rebellion and you turn to God. Listen to me. There is no salvation without repentance. Right? I think all of you would agree that you can't come up here and confess that you're a sinner but not repent of your sins and get saved. I think all of you would agree to that. Right? There's no salvation without repentance. Yeah, you need to confess with the mouth, but you also need to repent. That takes place in the heart. Listen to me. That is not a one and done. 
that is not a one-time deal and that cover, that you're good for all of your life. Listen to me. Whenever we sin, whenever we fall short of the glory of God, God has done this wonderful thing. He has given us the sweet Holy Spirit of God. And that Holy Spirit comes and resides in us. And when we sin, when we let a little sin in the camp, when we do something we hadn't ought to do, the Holy Spirit is grieved. God places that Holy Spirit so deep in us, so intertwined with who we are, that when He is grieved, we hurt too. Our heart is pricked. That's the, how the Bible says it. And you can do one of two things about that. And I'm just going to say, you can either be smart or you can be dumb. You can be, you, can, you can be wise, you can be smart, you can do the right thing. And when the Spirit is grieved and your heart is pricked, you can get things right. You can confess, you can repent, you can do what you need to to make things right. With God, first of all, and if it involves somebody else, then with them too. You can get that under the blood of Jesus. You can get that out of the way. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise His holy name. And you can go on serving Jesus and doing the work of the Father, laboring in the field, winning souls to the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Walking in the power and the might of the Spirit of God. Or you can be dumb. You can be stubborn. You can make excuses. You can justify it, right? What, what are you doing when you're doing that? You're hiding that sin. You can bury it under your tent. You can refuse to fess up to it or confess to it. You can do the whole well, but, right? It's somebody else's fault. You can pass the blame. You can do like Adam and say, well, it's this woman you gave me that caused me to do it. It's her fault. Really, it's your fault for giving her to me. Right? We can do that. <laughs> You know what will happen? That sin that you refuse to deal with, that sin that you refuse to get out of the camp, becomes a wedge between you and God. You know how that works? How that works is that heart that was pricked, it's all of a sudden not as tender as it was. It's all of a sudden starting to callous over. You ever heard where the Bible talks about a hardened heart? Right? Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Right? The Bible talks about us being turned over to a reprobate mind. Talks about a hardened heart. That's what happens. You see? You just, uh, you just push back. You just push that off to the side. You ignore the Holy Spirit or you try to argue with him about it and you just keep pushing that aside. And before long, right? You, you don't just see. It's like the late... Uh, the, um, Lay's chips, you know, where they say you can't just eat one. Well, sin's that way. You can't just sin once, right? I'll guarantee you. You, you sin and then you try to hide it to, or not deal with it, but before you know it, you're sinning again. But this time when he pricks your heart, it's not so sharp. And before you know it, 
your heart has become so calloused and so hardened. You've become so far, you've gotten so far away from God. You don't even know. You don't even know. You, you don't even know what it's like to be in the presence of God. You've forgotten, just about forgotten anyways, what it's like to have your heart, but you don't even feel it anymore. You're able to, that's how you're able to go on and do these ungodly things and not think twice about it. You know what, you know what can happen? That old wedge, I told you before about splitting wood, right? I, 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 I'm telling you, a wedge makes all the difference in the world. I can split anything you give me a wedge. I don't care how naughty and how, uh, you know, green or whatever it is. You give me some wedges and I can split her. That's what, that, that's what that sin, which is a wedge, will do with you and God. Right? It will separate you from Him. And you did it. You did it. You put the wedge in there, and you left the wedge in there, and you just kept driving it in there. Until before you know it, you'll appear before Him one day, and He'll say, I never knew you. And you'll say, wait a minute, I've done all these things. And he'll say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. That's what happens when you let sin in the camp. Jennifer, will you come for a song of invitation? I don't know what is going on with you tonight. I don't know your heart. I don't know why God gave me a message like this for a night like this, but I know what. I can tell you this, God knows what he was doing. So I don't know what sin you've let in the camp. I don't know what's going on in your life. Frankly, it's none of my business. But God does. Did you really think you could stroll in here tonight and God has no idea what you've been up to and what you've been doing? You ain't no different than Aiken. Would you stand to your feet? I'm going to open the altar and I'm going to give you an opportunity to come tonight. Spirit of God dealing with you, would you please come tonight? Don't wait any longer. Please, please, don't listen to the devil. He's going to do everything he can to hold you back, right? He wants to drag you down. He wants to take you to hell with him. I'm begging you tonight, would you come? Spirit of God dealing with you, would you come? Maybe, maybe you just simply have a burden for somebody. Maybe God has placed somebody on your heart that you need to be praying, praying for. Somebody, maybe they're traveling down the wrong path. Maybe they're lost. Whatever it is. Would you come tonight? Would you be willing to step out and pray for them? Maybe you've got a need in your own life. Maybe there's some things that you're dealing with and you need some prayer and you need a touch from, uh, from the great physician, right? We've heard two testimonies tonight of, uh, uh, that he's still able to heal, that he's still able to reach down and touch it. Whatever the need is, would you come tonight? Don't miss this opportunity. Would you come tonight? Would you come?